This episode is about fortunes lost and won, and a man who found himself in such strange circumstances that his life depended on the outcome of one single game of chess. It's the story of Ossip Bernstein. Hello everyone and welcome to Audible Chess, where I tell the story of chess through history, fiction, and the games of the masters. This episode I want to give a shout out to Andrew. Thanks man for your support, I appreciate it a lot. I also want to give a quick update on one change with the podcast. Uh, Over the last couple of months, I've heard from some listeners who've had issues opening the links to the training resources that I put in the show notes. I think uh, part of the problem here is that each podcasting app formats things differently, and sometimes the links don't show up properly. So I've come up with an idea to fix this, and it's something I'm, I'm going to start with in the next episode. So I'm going to start sending out the training links and other resources through the Substack newsletter instead of the show notes. This will not only make sure that uh, everyone is viewing the same material, but will also allow me to add other media like images and videos that it's not possible to add in podcasting show notes. You'll also be able to comment on each episode on the Substack website and have other listeners see those comments. So yeah, that's basically it. The show notes for the October episode will be in the newsletter. So if you haven't done so already, it means that you'll need to go to the Substack website and sign up for that newsletter. I'll include a link in the show notes as always, but if you have trouble with it, just head over to the Substack website and search for Audible Chess. I'll also mention that there are no ads in the newsletter and I'll never share your email with anybody. That's all. Let's get started. It was 1918 in Odessa and a group of men found themselves standing in front of a firing squad. The Russian Revolution was underway. Tsar Nicholas II had been overthrown, the royal family executed by the Bolsheviks, and the entire social and political order was being torn apart. The men standing against the wall had been deemed, quote, enemies of the people. As they stood awaiting execution, a senior officer leafed through the names of the men. His eyes stopped beside one of them. The name was Ossip Bernstein. He recognized that name. He'd been following an Ossip Bernstein on the professional chess circuit for years now. Was this the same man, he wondered? As the executioners stood ready with their rifles, the officer asked, Which one of you is Ossip Bernstein? And when Bernstein put up his hand, the officer asked him if he was indeed the famous chess master. Bernstein replied that he was. The officer thought for a moment and then replied, Play one game with me to prove it. If you beat me, you can go free. If you lose, well, you'll be shot along with the others. You may have heard this story already. It's a pretty famous one in the chess world. It's the story of how Bernstein found himself playing a game of chess literally for his life. But how did he end up in front of a firing squad in the first place? Bernstein was a Russian businessman a very successful one who'd earned himself a substantial fortune. He practiced law, and he'd made much of his wealth as an advisor to bankers and others in the financial sector. In his free time, he played chess on the professional circuit. Bernstein was one of the strongest players in the country. He was an attacking player with an extremely sharp style. His chess career spanned eras, and there is perhaps something of the attack-at-all-costs philosophy of the Romantic era in his own approach to chess. Here's a quote from 
Irving Chernyev on that episode of Chess Development. There was, to speak with some poetic license, only one style of play, and that was to attack and keep attacking. You either won gloriously, or you succumbed to a counterattack and lost gloriously. In 1903 at the Russian Championship, his sharp style served Bernstein well. He beat the great Akiba Rubinstein in 25 moves with the black pieces. Of the chess tournaments he played in before the Russian Revolution, one that is often cited is the 1911 tournament in San Sebastian, Spain. The biggest names in chess were there. Akiba Rubinstein, Frank Marshall, Tarash, Nimzovich. Unfortunately, what is often remembered most about this tournament is the lapse in judgment on Bernstein's part. Before the tournament was underway, he'd argued to the event organizers that one player, a relatively unknown in the chess world, shouldn't even be allowed to play in the tournament alongside such high-caliber players. This certain nobody hadn't earned a spot at the table. But unfortunately for Bernstein, the name of the player he didn't think should take part is probably one that you're familiar with. Jose Raul Capablanca. Capablanca, as it turned out, won a brilliancy prize in this tournament, and it was in his game against Bernstein, which he won. After the revolution began in Russia, Bernstein's line of work meant that he was perceived as an enemy of the new socialist state. He was a member of the bourgeoisie, a class of people that, from the Bolsheviks' perspective, had to be eradicated. Bernstein was arrested by the Cheka, the secret police that had unlimited powers to arrest or kill anyone who stood in the way of the revolution. His was just one among many arrests, imprisonments, and executions of enemies of the people, many with no form of trial. Here is a quote from Felix Dzerzhinsky, who was head of the Cheka, and whose nickname was Iron Felix. The Cheka is the defense of the revolution, as the Red Army is. As in the Civil War, the Red Army cannot stop to ask whether it may harm particular individuals, but must take into account only one thing, the victory of the revolution over the bourgeoisie. So, the Cheka must defend the revolution and conquer the enemy, even if its sword falls occasionally on the heads of the innocent. The Cheka essentially saw itself as an instrument of fear. They were terrorists. The era of Czechist power is now known as the Red Terror. So it was Czechist men who stood pointing their guns at Bernstein, and a Czechist officer who had them pause while he figured out if Bernstein was in fact the famous chess master he'd been following. The officer, it turned out, had a chessboard in his kit. He had a soldier set up the board for them. He sat down to face Bernstein, and with a wave invited Bernstein to sit next to him. Bernstein took the black pieces in a game in which his very life was on the line. Of course, this Bernstein was the real deal, and he made short work of the officer, who kept his word and released Bernstein. He then escaped Russia aboard a British ship headed for France. Bernstein left his small fortune behind him in Russia and settled in Paris. He went to work immediately, earning himself a second fortune. But that, too, was taken from him during the Great Depression. And then a third fortune, 
earned in the final year of the Depression, was once again taken from him when the Nazis invaded France. Bernstein, the Jew, fled France for Spain. He settled in Barcelona. Of course, he still played chess. Famously, in 1954, he was to play in a tournament in Uruguay that included Miguel Nydorf. Nydorf had felt assured of his victory. Bernstein was, after all, 72 years old by that time. So he convinced the organizers to double the prize money for the first prize and reduce the amount paid out to second and third places. Nydorf was feeling confident of finishing first. But as it turned out, the move backfired. Bernstein, the old man, beat him in 37 moves. The game won Bernstein the brilliancy prize. In 1950, Fide awarded Bernstein the title of International Grandmaster. He died in a hospital in France at the age of 80. The game this episode is Bernstein versus Miguel Nydorf at Montevideo, Uruguay in 1954. Check out the show notes for the training resources, along with links to the game annotation to study. Just a reminder that going forward, you'll need to subscribe to the Substack newsletter to receive these resources. And you'll find a link in the show notes that will take you to the right page for that. Thanks everyone for listening, and I hope the show helps improve your chess. 1. Pawn to d4. Knight to f6. Two. Pawn to c4. Pawn to d6. What color is the h1 square? It's a light square. Three. Knight to c3. Knight on the b file to d7. Four. Pawn to e4. Pawn to e5. White has three pieces on the fourth rank. Which pieces are they? The pawns on c4, d4, and e4. Five, knight to f3. Pawn to g6. Six. D pawn takes e5.
d-pawn takes e5. Which square is white's light-squared bishop on? f1. Seven, bishop to e2. Pawn to c6. Eight, castles kingside. Queen to c7. Which two black pieces are protecting the pawn on e5? The queen on c7 and the knight on d7. Nine. Pawn to h3. Knight to c5. Ten. Queen to c2. Knight to h5. Which piece controls the c1, h6 diagonal? White's dark squared bishop. Eleven, rook to e one. Knight to e six. Twelve, bishop to e three. Bishop to e7. Which file on the board is completely open? The d file. Thirteen. Rook on the A-file to D1. Castles kingside. Fourteen. Bishop to F1. Nine. 
knight on the h file to g7. Where are white's queenside pawns? There are pawns on a2, b2, and c4. Fifteen, pawn to a3. Pawn to f5. Sixteen, pawn to b4. Pawn to f4. Which two white pieces are attacking the c5 square? The pawn on b4 and the dark squared bishop on e3. Seventeen, bishop to c1. Bishop to f6. Eighteen, pawn to c5. Pawn to g5. 5. White's next move, which is bishop to c4, will pin which piece to the black king? The black knight on e6. Nineteen, bishop to c4. King to h8. Twenty, bishop to b2. Pawn to h5. The white knight on c3 is attacking which two center squares? d5 and e4. Twenty one, Knight to D five, C pawn takes D five, twenty two, E pawn takes D five.
knight to d4. From its new position, the black knight on d4 attacks which two white pieces? The queen on c2 and the knight on f3. Twenty-three. Knight takes d4. E pawn takes d4. Twenty-four. Pawn to d6. Queen to d7.